Well, good morning. Welcome to the JAR. We're so glad that you are here this morning. And um, we are in a series called Belong, Believe, Become. And uh, today is kind of the conclusion uh, of that as we look at the uh, word become. You know, there's a, um, there's a question that every single person here has been asked in their life. It's a question that usually adults ask of children and that parents ask of their kids and grandparents ask of their grandkids. And this is the question. What do you want to become when you grow up? What do you want to be? What do you want to become when you grow up? My dad, uh, who's been a pastor for over 40 years, uh, tells the story of one particular Sunday morning in which the, he had a children's story. His church uh, has about 50 people, and uh, most of his uh, career, he's about, had around 150, 100, 150 people. And um, during the celebration, it's more traditional, so all the kids are kind of together, and they uh, invite all the kids to come forward, and he tells a story. And on this particular day, um, I was only a little baby, uh, and crying, carrying on, uh, doing that kind of thing. But my brother was five or six years old, and he came up for the story. And they, uh, he sat down with all the kids, and they began to share the story. And uh, the very first question he asked was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one child uh, said, I want to become a teacher. Another one said uh, they wanted to become a nurse. Another one said they wanted to become a fireman. And my brother didn't say anything. And finally, my dad looked at him and said, well, Tim, what do you want to become when you grow up? And without batting an eye, Tim said this, I want to become a beer can collector. <laughs> and then it even gets better. Tim went on to elaborate to everybody that, and Dad, I really enjoy getting your bear cans. <laughs> I heard another story this week of a mom who was uh, sitting together with uh, some other parents at her daughter's dance class. And while she's waiting, uh, she started talking with some of the other moms, and pretty soon one of the moms asked the question, why do, you, why do you think your kids want to be when they grow up? And one mom, whose kids were very intelligent, said, well, my two kids want to become doctors. And another uh, parent, who uh, their little boy was really active, uh, said, well, my son wants to become a fireman. And some of the other moms got together and they said similar things, like my kid wants to become a lawyer, a ballerina, or a hairdresser, or on and on. And the woman who tells this story said that she was sitting beside her four-year-old daughter. And uh, one of the moms felt bad for the four-year-old and thought that, you know, maybe she didn't feel included. And uh, so that mom went up and, and asked the little four-year-old, well, sweetheart, what do you want to become when you grow up? She had this real puzzled look. She just kind of stared at the lady. Almost like this was this huge, enormous question. And then she turned to the lady and said, 
Why do you want to know? You looking for ideas? <laughs> now today, as adults, we rarely get that question to ask of us anymore, do we? We rarely get the question asked, what do you want to be, what do you want to become when you grow up? I mean, it's just kind of assumed that whatever you do, whatever your occupation is, that is where your identity lies. But God wants you to know today that your identity is not based upon what you do, but it's based upon who you are. It's based upon whose you are. And today, God wants you to know that you are His child. You're His prized possession You're the pinnacle of His creation. You are the apple of His eye. The Bible says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That we would become His children by giving our lives to Him. And that's what every single person is here today. You are a child of God. The Most High God who created heaven and earth and thought of you before He thought of anyone else. So the question today is not so much, what do you want to become? But what does God want you to become? You know, six years ago, I sensed that uh, God wanted me to start a church. I had no idea that He wanted me to become the pastor of this place called The Jar. In fact, I didn't even know it would be called the jar. I had no idea where we would even start it or plant this building, this church. But there was one thing that I did know, and it was this, and God revealed it to me. It's that there is something that God wants everyone to become. Every single person on the face of the earth, God wants them to become. And so, that's what we've talked about over the past four years as we went public here at the JAR. And here's the uh, three things that God wants you to become. The first thing is, God wants you to become Jesus-centered. Jesus-centered. What does God want you to become? First of all, God the Father wants you to become Jesus-centered. He wants every single person on planet Earth to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Not a relationship based on rules or regulations or rituals, but a relationship based on love. In fact, the Bible says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. The Scripture tells us that God is love. And he says that he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to love you. And the greatest sign that we know of that is when Jesus allowed himself to go to a cross and die upon it. 
And in that moment, what the transaction took place was he took all your sin and all my sin and all the world's sin and all the skeletons in our closet and he took them upon himself so that you and I would be freed up. And then three days later, he rose from the dead because of a sign to tell you that you have life beyond this life. That there is eternal life that you are going to spend. I've used this illustration before. Your life here on this earth is like one grain of sand out of all the sand in the world. Your life in eternity is all the other grains of sand. So it's not a huge thing for God that you, that, uh, you need to know that eternal life is this huge gift. God made you to love you. And there is not a single day that doesn't go by that God is not reaching out to try to show His love to you. And so if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, is there really somebody who would love me no matter what there is? And His name's Jesus Christ. And God wants you to become a person who is Jesus-centered, who has a relationship with Him. Here's the second thing that God wants you to become. He wants you to become a part of an accepting community. God wants you to become a part of an accepting community. Now the Bible says this, accept one another as Christ accepted you. Now, how do you think Christ accepted you? How did Christ accept me? How does Christ accept every single person? Unconditionally, no strings attached, no regulations, as is. He just accepts us as is. You know, since the jar has started, one of the things that we've tried to do is elevate this level of acceptance to a place that would honor Jesus, and that we would accept everyone no matter what. Now, accepting people as is can be a messy problem. You know what? You have any relatives in your life that uh, you accept them, but you don't look forward to Thanksgiving or Christmas, huh? You know it's coming, right? Uncle Joe, Aunt Mary, I got bursitis, that's horrible, life stinks, ah, Happy Thanksgiving, you know? Those are hard people to accept, right? And you have them in your family. Some of you might be married to one. I don't know, you know? But the reality is, in the life of the church, God wants us to accept everyone. Now, accepting people can be messy. It can be a very messy situation. But this is what I've decided when we started the church that I would rather be a part of an accepting community that is messy and where people are trying to be real and they're trying to be real with each other and real with God and to get a relationship with God where they're growing to Him rather than being a part of a community that is nice and tidy and tidy and toity and where everyone's fake and no one's growing in God. Here's the third thing. God wants you to have healthy relationships. 
God wants you to have healthy relationships. Or you might say, He wants your relationships to be driven by health. Now, I know that there are some people here that you have gone through some tough stuff in your past. In fact, all of us have. Things in our past that uh, have been difficult. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you went through a destructive relationship. Maybe you went through a dysfunctional family. You know what a dysfunctional family is, though, right? It's your family. It's my family. It's every family on planet Earth. My wife is a physician. She has many different families that come into uh, her office. And, and she looks at our family and she goes, every family is psycho. It's just we all have different levels of psychosis, you know? But we all have issues. And it doesn't matter where you're at on that. You know, that's it. But God's plan for every single person here is to have healthy relationships. To have relationships that are driven by health. And you know what Jesus says? He says you're not going to have perfect relationships. You're going to have healthy ones. And Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they would have it abundantly. Jesus says this, if you come to me and you make a relationship with me the top priority in your life, the number one relationship, I'll make all of your other relationships healthy. And it's true. I've seen it in every single person who really gives themselves to a Jesus-centered life. Their relationships get healthy. Their marriage gets healthy. Their relationships with their kids gets healthier. They just get healthy. It may take time. It may take energy. It may take effort on your part. But you get healthy. So these are three things that God wants every single person to become. Now, Jesus-centered means uh, this. That for some of you, it means starting a relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you've been hanging out. Maybe you haven't. Maybe today's your first Sunday. But today is the day when you say, you know what, I'm ready to start on this journey. And for others of you, it's to say, I want to grow in this. I really do. The accepting community part simply means that all of you should be a part of a community in which acceptance is given as Jesus did it. Now, the jar isn't for everybody, but the one thing that we do try to work hard at is accepting all folks, regardless of where they're at. And so, to be a part of accepting community. And the third thing is, you want to be a person who has healthy relationships. God wants you to become a person with healthy relationships around you. Not relationships that tear you down, but relationships that build you up. And Jesus says, if you hang out with me long enough, I'll help to show you what relationships to say, hey, we got to get rid of these, and what ones that can create more health. Six years ago, this was all I knew. I didn't know anything else on how to become a pastor or lead a church. That's all I knew. And so what I did was I got some other people who were a little messy too, and we decided that we would start together this thing that eventually became the jar. Now the next part of the teaching is going to be a little bit different because uh, different than we usually do on Sunday mornings, because we are going to show a video about the history of the jar. Now, this past week, I went around to some of the places and talked about. Now, some of you, I can tell right now, are going, history, ugh, you know? But the thing is, is that God's history is not ugh, it's cool. 
Because what God's history reminds us over and over again are his blessings and the lessons that we will learn uh, in this place. And so you can sit back, relax. We're going to learn together uh, about what God has done in the life of the jar over the last four years. Well, it's appropriate that we begin our journey in a car because that's exactly how it started for me. Back in 1998, I was uh, a student at Anderson School of Theology, uh, a seminary, a Bible school, and uh, my wife, Jennifer, was doing her residency at Ball Memorial Hospital. And we both had decided that we were going to Muncie to get our education, but we had no intention of staying there. And during the four years that I was uh, at uh, Anderson, what we learned was that there was no way I could go back to an established church. I mean, I just wasn't quite made up for it. And so uh, I felt a real strong call from God as I was praying that God wanted me to start a new church, a new type of church, a church for the unchurched, a church that would break the mold. And so I went to conferences and took classes to kind of do this and uh, really was ready to do that. But the question is, you know, where are you going to start this? Well, out of all of my studies, uh, what it really talked about was you need to pick a community where the population is growing and where, in a real way, uh, the economy is uh, very strong. And so I remember. Uh, you know, looking at some different opportunities. One was in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, the other one was down in Louisville, Kentucky. And I even went down to Louisville and kind of looked around. Um, but in both times, God was very clear uh, when he said, I don't want you to start the church here. But the question became, well, where? Well, we're at the home in which Jennifer and I lived in uh, when we first started the church. Now, God didn't say to actually start the church here in the bathroom, but on August 16th of 2002, I was praying uh, in this bathroom by myself, and you can laugh now, my wife does too, she thinks it's kind of weird. But anyway, I was praying, and as I was really seeking God on where he wanted me to start the church, I felt a strong prompting from him to say, I want you to start the church in Muncie, in your home, and never question that again. And so that's what we did. So on January 12, 2003, we met right here in our old living room. And there were six adults, two kids, and one cat. Back in those days, folks, we counted anything and everything that we could. We continued to meet in this room on Sunday nights at 6.30, inviting friends and different people. And by the time we got to summer, we had doubled in size. We had about 15 people. And that summer, seven of those people gave their lives to Christ, and we had a baptism celebration out at Prairie Creek Reservoir. And we continued to meet in homes during that time, and we grew to almost 20 people. In those very early days, the lesson that we learned was the power of seeing people who were far from God come close to God. And we also learned a lesson of how important community 
and friendship really is. Well, here we are upstairs at the Y. And in the fall of 2003, we decided to move here because there was no one home that could really accommodate all of our needs. And uh, people at that point would come and I would stand up and talk for maybe 20 minutes and then we'd break into two small groups. And at that time, we had just about 25 people. And we were excited and we saw lives that were changing. But as we got to the beginning of 2004, we noticed something. Attendance started to go down. Now, part of that was because snow uh, was all around us, but part of it was also we kind of lost that homey feeling of meeting in homes in small groups. There's nothing like a small group. You know, when you got the food around and everyone's kind of in the home and kind of hanging out that way. And we had just kind of lost something. And so in February of 2004, we were only averaging about 10 people on a particular Sunday. You know, as the pastor, I really started getting discouraged. I didn't know if this uh, place called The Jar was ever going to come about. And I was ready to throw in the towel. And so we decided that we would do one more thing. We would have what we called our big honking outreach. And God showed up in a powerful way. Well, I'm standing in uh, the exact place where we had our big honking outreach. And no, it wasn't in the middle of a parking lot. Uh, this used to be a movie theater. And uh, in March of 2004, what we did was the movie The Passion was being shown. And so we took one movie theater and we bought all the tickets, 280 in all and we passed them out to anyone who was disconnected from Christ or the church. All free, no strings attached. And then after that, we told people that we were going back to the Children's Museum, we'd watch and take care of their kids, and we would have some pizza and we'd talk about the movie. And there were about 100 adults that came and uh, about 75 kids that we watched during that time. And uh, it was just an exciting, exciting day. And that next week, we went to Sunday mornings for the first time in the history of the jar. Before that, we were meeting Sunday nights and you know, didn't see that really happening, so we started meeting Sunday morning. And people came and they invited their friends and uh, we really started to see lives being transformed. By the end of the summer, we were up to about 50 to 60 people. And the lesson that we learned during that time was that when we serve other people, that they learn to know who Jesus is. Not just by the words that we say, but by our acts. And in a real way, that was the start of uh, the JAR Community Church. Well, on October 10, 2004, we finally went public. In other words, everyone kind of knew that we existed. Because before that, the only people that knew were the people that we told that were either meeting in homes or meeting upstairs. But now, all of Muncie, all of Delaware County, and all of East Central Indiana knew. And the reason why is because we did a big marketing campaign. We sent 5,000 mailers to uh, people throughout uh, the county and, you know, all of East Central Indiana, throughout Muncie. And we also uh, had a big billboard on McGalliard in which we said, uh, a church that breaks the mold. And that's what we wanted to be, a church that broke the mold. And so the last thing we did, we had a radio commercial. And in that radio commercial, I said, you know, if you hate church, you don't like church, come to our church. It'll be a little bit different because we're going to be a church that really does break the mold. So we invited people to come. 
I said, if you want to meet me, I'll be the guy up front wearing blue jeans. And that's been something that, you know, people have come up to me a lot over the past few years saying how much they appreciate uh, the environment that it's so low key. Now, on that very first Sunday, we did something that was kind of important for us. Um, to be honest, we weren't really sure if uh, anyone would show up. And so we put this yellow curtain down uh, right in the middle to try to make this space look larger. And I stood up over there and Isaac uh, led music. And in the midst of this, uh, what we did was we had 143 people that uh, arrived on that first Sunday. Now we weren't sure they were gonna come back, <laughs> but they did. And in that first month, we saw 21 people give their lives to Christ. And in that first year, we averaged just about 105 people. But you know, there's a really important lesson that we learned in that first year. And it was the lesson of acceptance. That God accepts us as is. And in a real way, that's what we wanted to be. Kind of a church that accepted people as is and that everyone belongs. Well, we knew that God wanted to do some big things in 2005. So we decided in the fall of 2005 that we were gonna raise the curtain. And I mean, to be honest, this curtain was never uh, very nice looking anyways. It kind of smelled and if you were a person who sat by the curtain during that time, I mean, you know, you'd have that smell on you uh, for the rest of the day. But we wanted to use the whole gym. And so that's what we decided, that we would kind of raise this curtain. And God provided more and more people that came and uh, lives were really being changed. And people started serving and sacrificing in ways that they had never done before. And uh, we learned about the power of sacrifice. We had to buy some more chairs so we could seat people. We had to buy a new uh, audio-visual uh, LCD projector and a new uh, you know, big screen so that everyone could see now that we were using uh, the entire gym. And as we did that, we just saw people step up to the plate because of the power of sacrifice. And in a real way, what we saw was the lesson that was learned was that being outward focused is so key of reaching beyond ourselves and as we give ourselves away, God not only blesses our lives, but he blesses our community and our county and even, you know, in other places as we did that. And so God really honored us as we sacrificed and as we were outward focused and the church continued to grow. I'm standing here in the racquetball court. They're actually playing racquetball uh, right beside me. And uh, I hope I don't get hit by a ball. But the reason we're standing here is because during that same era of time, our children's ministry, the zone, just exploded. And we had so many kids that were upstairs that we just, it wasn't safe anymore. And so we moved all of our kids except for infants and toddlers uh, downstairs. And we put them in these three racquetball courts. And Jana and all the children's ministry people have done an amazing job of really creating a wonderful atmosphere in these racquetball courts. It was also uh, in the summer of 2006 that we had our largest baptism service ever. We baptized 16 people out at Prairie Creek. Uh, I love all of our baptisms, especially what the ones out there are uh, really exciting. And 
When we got to the fall of 2006, we were averaging about 166 people. And we decided again to kind of take a step of faith and do something really big. And so we had our first campaign, the Purpose Driven Life campaign uh, from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And we saw lives change in amazing ways. And we saw growth happen, and we launched for the first time our small group ministry. We had over 13 small groups that were meeting, and people were getting to know God, and it was just a, an exciting time in the life of the church. And by the time uh, we got to uh, 2007, we actually broke the 200 barrier. And throughout 2007, we averaged about 205 people. And this was just an amazing blessing of God growing people and growing His church called the John. Well, I'm standing right in front of our very first office. It was only 350 square feet, and there were four people trying to function in it. And to be quite honest, we were just about ready to kill each other and wring each other's necks. And uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the smallness of that just added so much stress to our staff. And the reality was it was just kind of a symptom of everything else that was going on in the church. We had just grown so fast, so quickly, that we didn't have an organizational structure underneath of leaders that were able to kind of help the staff in the midst of things. And so, uh, you know, we just kept plugging ahead, but uh, it was a real stressful time uh, in the life of the church. And in the fall of 2007, we went ahead and did a No Perfect People Allowed campaign. Great idea, great concept, but strategically, we just were not uh, able to do much because in many ways the staff was kind of burnt out and uh, so were many of our leaders. And so we realized that in this season uh, of the jar, a few things. One of the things was the importance of having something underneath to kind of uh, help with this uh, type of growth. And secondly, that God's more concerned about changed lives than He is changing numbers. And that He'll grow the church if we'll just grow people, and we had kind of gotten away from that, and so uh, we really knew we wanted to change that. And finally, both as a staff and as, uh, you know, top-notch leaders, we just realized the importance of truth-telling, that sometimes it hurts, but it's so important if we're going to have impact in our community. Well, 2008 has been an awesome year. We have developed our first kind of leadership team. This is where both uh, staff and some of our top-notch leaders are working together uh, to work on things like our vision and our values, to implement our constitution, and to just help the organizational structure just flow a lot more. And some of our uh, great leaders have taken on large areas of ministry so that uh, the staff can kind of do what they're gifted to do and uh, lay leaders are using their gifts in their areas. And this year, we have found that we had our largest uh, single outreach of a thousand people that came for our Easter egg hunt. And everything was free, no strings attached. I mean, we weren't expecting a thousand people here at the Y, but they all showed up. And kids were hanging from ceilings and just everything. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. And then after that, because of that outreach, we found our largest single celebration. 
uh, ever in the history of the jar. We had 351 people uh, attend on Easter. But it wasn't just about numbers this year. We also had three teams that we sent to Appalachia and also to Mexico uh, to reach out uh, to people across the world. And our growth continued to happen as we increased by 12% in our attendance, our uh, Sunday morning attendance. And so God has just been doing some really cool and amazing things here at the JAR. You know what I've been so proud of? Is that in the midst of one of the hardest economic times that our country has ever seen, this church, each one of you, have been giving financially. We have increased by 17% of what we gave back in 2007. And you know, we've never been about money, but people, as they've caught on to the vision of the jar, have just decided that they are going to give of themselves sacrificially. And God has richly blessed us in many ways. You know, I believe with all of my heart that the best days are ahead of the JAR Community Church. And I really believe that as we continue to reach out to our city and our county and all of East Central Indiana, that God is going to bless us in some amazing ways. And as long as we continue to trust in Him and we are obedient, that in a real way, we're going to see things happen in which our eyes have never seen and our ears have never heard. Let's go ahead and look at the future together. <clears throat> well, that's where we've been. And the next question I want to have us look at is, what does God want the jar to become? Uh, that video kind of showed us the jar 1.0, okay? And now we're going to look at the jar 2.0, where we're going uh, in this next season uh, of the jar. And uh, it begins in January of 2009. Now, through the video, uh, you saw that uh, the jar has had some ups and downs, different things, but this is what we are now. And now we have to ask the question, what does God want the jar to become? And God wants the jar to become one word, and I call it moldable. God wants the jar to become moldable, to become moldable for God. There's a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, a person who spoke on behalf of God. And let me just say, Jeremiah was not a bullfrog, okay? He was an actual real live person, and he was uh, in the Bible. And one day, God came to him and said this, Go down to the shop where clay pots and jars are made. I will speak to you while you are there. So Jeremiah did as he was told and found the potter working at his will. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped so the potter would form it into other, to some other shape. Then the Lord gave Jeremiah this message, O Israel, or I will put in, O the jar, can I do to you as the potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. You see, folks, 
each one of us are, are in the hands of the potter. All of us are just ordinary jars. Uh, some of us, though, are uh, you know, a little bit different. But when you put all of these jars together, what the church is, is just one big collection of these jars. Some of the jars are clay, some are marble, some are glass. Some are tall, some are short, some are big, some are tiny, some are black, some are white, some are Hispanic. But we all come together, and there's one thing that is true about all of us, and it's this. We all come broken. All of us comes with a broken jar. We're not perfect, we don't have it all together, but we come with different brokenness. And what God says is that in the, if you will give me your brokenness, and you choose to say, uh, I'll let you be moldable, God begins to mold you in new ways. And He asks you, will you trust me to mold you? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. Will you trust God to mold you? Well, the staff and the leadership team believe strongly that God wants the jar to become one thing in the jar plan 2.0. And the thing that God wants us to do is to align ourselves with Him. That we would align each of our hearts and the entire church into a focus with Him. In fact, if you would, pull out this little card that was in your program. Thank you all received one. If you don't like pulling out cards for this time, get over it and uh, just pull it out, okay? Next week, you don't have to pull anything out. And at the top, this is going to be our theme, Align in 09. Let's all repeat that together. One, two, three. Man, you guys are already catching on. That's the best you've done in two years. I mean, we should have done this a long time ago. You'll never know how long it took me to find a word that rhymed with nine. I started with a lot of other words that weren't so good, but uh, if you want to know what those are, come up and I'll tell you. But we decided to do a line in 09. And there are four things that we're going to want you and other people who will sit in these chairs during 09 to be a part of. The first one is... Spend time with God. We want you to set, a, uh, set aside 10 minutes a day to spend time with God in prayer and reading the Bible. Now, over the next two months, we're going to help you to be able to do that. Because I know from experience that sometimes this book can be a little bit intimidating. It can be intimidating because we don't know where to start, we don't know where to begin, and it can be difficult to do that. And so we're going to give you some tools to do that. Also, sometimes this book is used to beat people over the head. And that's not what the Bible's about. It's not a, bull, a, a, a book of rules, but it's a love letter from God to you. And what do we do with love letters? We read them over and over and over again, right? Because it reminds us of how much we're cared for. And the second piece of that is to pray. So five minutes a day, you'll read the Bible, and uh, it's an easy thing to do, and we've got some plans to help you with that. And the other five minutes is to be in prayer. Now, I thought about it this week. This is how you can meet your five minutes of prayer this week. You wake up in the morning, and you pray. You go to breakfast, and you pray. You go to lunch, and you pray. Then you go to dinner, and you pray. 
And just before you get ready to go to bed, you... One minute! There's five things right there. One minute each, and you're done. You can say, man, I prayed five minutes today, you know? All right. Now, the second thing we want you to do is share in community. To be part of a small group with ten other people. Now, next week, we're starting what I think is the most exciting thing we've ever done with small groups, and that is Taste of Community. If you've never been a part of a small group and you're not right now, just say that in 09, I'm going to do Taste of Community. And what Taste of Community is, it's just four weeks of learning about how to do community life. No one's going to freak you out. They're not going to make you stand up and say, Ola ho maha ho, you know, or anything like that. They're not going to put you on the spot. But you'll learn it. And just everybody's going to do this in 09, and you'll get four experiences. Now, after you do your four, if you're like, man, that ain't for me. Okay, no biggie. But we want everyone to be a part of that. Next thing, serve the church. Find a way that you can use your talents to serve the church. You know, before a lot of you got out of bed this morning, there were people that were already here preparing for you. They were making this place ready for you. Now, many of these people are anonymous, but... Just because they're anonymous does not mean that they're not necessary. You see, a lot of times, if you don't know somebody or you don't know what they do, you don't think they're very important or you don't think what they do is important. But that is so far from the truth because everything that's done anonymously is important. For example, how many of you know every person's name that greeted you this morning? Not very many of us, right? How many of you know... Who is taking care of your children right now? We don't either. We just put them outside and, uh, you know, they're just kind of out there on the outside. No, they're being well taken care of. But you, do you know their names? Probably not. Do you know the musicians that are, were up here that led us in such a great experience? No, because some of you weren't even here yet. I know. But no, you don't know them. Do you know the people who do all the multimedia stuff? No. Do you know uh, the people who had your coffee and your drinks so when you walked in? No. Do you know the person who, is, who set up the chair that you're sitting in right now? You're glad they were here though, aren't you? Because you would have been standing. So we want everybody, because anonymous does not mean important. It means very important. And there's one last thing, fourth thing. My card's over here. And it is to seek out, to seek out, to pray for two people who are not connected with Christ or the church. Now, when I first started this, I said, we're going to have everybody pray for 10 people. And uh, somebody said, Chris, are you praying for 10 people? I was like, uh, okay, let's make it two. Because you can do two, and I can do two, right? Everybody can do a two-two. And uh, we just want you to pray for them. You don't have to go up and save them, get a big old Bible out and say, here, uh, pastor was talking about this today. No, we just want you to pray for them. We'll, we'll teach you how to do that. So these are the things that we want you to take home and to pray about, participate in. Now, those are those goals. I want to look at finally and then we'll be done so you have a chance to uh, be at all the different tables. Is to look at the goals that as a church we're going to align ourselves to. The first one is this. We will read through the New Testament in 09. Now, some of you right now are going, oh my 
Josh, is he kidding me? You know how long it takes to read through the entire Testament in one year per day? Five minutes. Five minutes. You can go through the whole New Testament five minutes a day. So it's not unattainable. And I'll tell you, I've never seen people more encouraged in their spiritual walk than when I've told them that. And they stick to it. Sometimes you're going to miss days. That's all right. Don't do two for. You know, don't do two a days. Just skip it. Go on to the next thing. But we're going to do this. And we're going to think of some creative ways to do it. One way is, if you give us your email, we're going to send a scripture and potentially a devotional to you every single day. Now, let me say this. Some of you send me forwards that are some of the dumbest things I've ever seen before. And I, and I know some of you spend five minutes or more reading forwards about Joey Black and his dog that died and come to Jesus or go to hell, you know? And it's like all in one email by itself. And so we're going to give you something that will actually be beneficial to your life, you know? And you can get rid of all those other forwards that uh, you've been sending. And we'll have things, if you don't have a computer, we'll have sheets to give out. Uh, We'll have New Testament on CD as well. Second goal, we will develop 10 new healthy small groups. Groups that are accepting and loving and caring and want you to grow. I love my small group. We meet on Mondays. We've been meeting the last uh, few weeks. And uh, it's just been cool to see new people come in, people be a part of it, and they're not freaked out. I mean, they're scared of me, but they like Jen, you know what I mean? And uh, Jen brings cookies and other people do, and it works out. Third goal is, we will increase our attendance by 50 adults in 09. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that doesn't sound very big. Well, let me tell you this. We've had over 300 people walk through that door, family units, since the beginning of January 1, 2008. You know how many we've retained? 9%. Okay? Not very good. So what we want to do is have 50 people that are going to stick. In other words, they're going to say, when it comes to 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, I'm going to be at the jar. Now, if the Colts are playing, they don't play at 10.30, do they? So you've got to be here. All right. Next thing, last goal. We want to give you an opportunity, actually, to participate in this one today. We want to increase our servant volunteers by 50% in 09. Right now, there were 35 people who signed up to participate this morning. And at the end of 09, we want that to be 52.5. Anybody know who the .5 is? You, okay? And we want you to be a part of that. Friends, you're not here by accident. God has not brought you to this place by accident. He brought you here and He chose you because you have something that He wants you to use in the life of this church. And God brought you here to make a difference. God brought you here because we need what you have. Some gift, some talent, some ability, some way to serve in this place. Almost all of our servants only serve once every six weeks. That's all we're asking for. We're not asking for, you know, your firstborn child, be here at 7 a.m. praying for, you know, all kinds of stuff. No, just once every six weeks. Now, surrounding us are several different tables that I really want you to check out. Colts don't play until Monday night. Now, I know some of you are Pittsburgh fans, some of you are Dallas fans, other fans. Guess what? You can spend five minutes. It is uh, 11.32 right now, just in case you were all wondering, all right? And for the sake 
of, uh, you know, just checking out, see what's going on. So let's stand and let's uh, pause for prayer and then we'll give you a chance to look at these different tables. Okay, let's stand. And as we stand, there's going to be a scripture verse that comes up and uh, I'd like you to uh, read it together. And uh, if it doesn't come up, there we go. Good. And these are words from God to you. And uh, I'd like us to read these together, and then we'll pray. For I am about to do a brand new thing. See, I have already begun. Don't you see it? And as I pray, I'm going to give some of you an opportunity to maybe say, you know, Jesus, I want to start this relationship, Jesus-centered kind of thing. And uh, I fought with God this morning, and I said, I'm not going to do that. We're already doing stuff, but you know what? He won. So um, what I'd like you to do is just, if you're at that place, and today's the day, and you're like, you know what? I want him to be the potter and for me to be the clay. For you to uh, just pray silently these words after me, and then I'll close this all in a prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, I want you to do a new thing in my life. I know you are the potter, and I am the clay. And so, I give my life to you on the potter's will to be molded the way you want. I don't know everything, but I put my trust in you today. I turn from my sins, and I turn towards you. Thank you for receiving me as your child and help me to give control of my life to you. Loving God, we thank you for the fact that you chose each and every single person who hears my voice. That even before they were born, God, you chose them. And you chose them to love them, and God, we are so thankful for that. And we want you to take our broken jars, regardless of what they are, and mold them and shape them in a in a new and fresh way. And so, God, we just thank you for what you've already done in the life of the jar, the way you've blessed it, the lessons that you've taught us. And as we look to align in 09, as we align ourselves in you, God, may you really um, just uh, work in our lives and help us uh, to uh, grow closer. And right now, God, help each person to take some time right now, five minutes, 10 minutes, just to look around at the tables and to find a way that they can get plugged in to use their gifts to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Know you're loved in this place? Check out a few uh, tables and uh, we'll hear some music. I think.